Uh, well, good morning, Genesis. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here in, uh, as Michael said up front, sincerely uh, grateful you have decided to join us this morning. I know uh, this week has been tough. I know it's been a week of hurt, a week of lament, a week of prayer, uh, a week of crying out. And, and so I'm sincerely grateful that this morning you decided to tune in uh, to hear about Christ, the person who can give you hope. And so I wanted to start this morning, though, with a little bit of a lighter note. I want to do a thought experiment with you. I just want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine if an alien landed on Earth tonight. And this alien came to Earth with a very specific mission. He was sent by his extraterrestrial friends to come and get a read on humanity, figure out what, what's this place like? Should we invade? Should we colonize Earth? And so imagine this alien's walking around Earth, uh, but the catch is this. He can only see, study, and observe human interaction through the lens of social media. So this alien looks at us last week, and now he flies back to the mothership and stands in front of his alien boss, and his alien boss says, okay, well, what did you figure out? What, what's the human race like? In collecting his data from social media, I think this is probably the list the alien would say. He'd say, well, uh, weird bunch of people down there. They really love to take pictures of themselves in front of places of national significance. Uh, apparently, it's very important for them to let everybody else know what day of the diet they're on. Uh, I'm sorry, lifestyle change. Uh, Sharon loves pictures of her with her cat. It's kind of creeping people out. Grandma sends about five friend requests a day, so she's either been hacked or she's fading quick. And what's really fascinating about the human race is everybody is an expert on everything. They know it all. The place couldn't be more political, couldn't be more divisive. Actually, everyone disagrees with everyone else all the time. Like, I think if the alien went back to his alien boss and he his read on humanity, I think it would be, we can just leave this for 50 years because these people can't handle each other and they'll just take care of themselves for us and we can come into an empty planet on our own. See, I'm, not, I'm by no means trying to claim to be a cultural expert on anything, but it seems to me if we're just getting cues from social media, this might be the most divided group of people we've ever been. If there's a line that we can draw, we draw it. And then we, we just decide, this is where I stand on it. And kind of what happens is we all end up isolating, and we all live in tribes, right? Tribes of like-minded people. And, and there's tons of tribes. We have political tribes. We have moral tribes. We have religious tribes, theological tribes, uh, ethical tribes. And it gets really confusing because then you actually get subsets of tribes, and you get subsets of subsets of tribes. And we find all these ways to narrow ourselves down, just to kind of surround ourselves with the most similar people that we can find. And this is where it gets really weird. Unless you're in the same tribe as me, we can't coexist. In the same tribe, friend. Outside of the tribe, enemy. I mean, most characteristic of tribes, you will defend your tribe to the death. Now, I don't want to keep this all philosophical or ethereal. This is by no means a social commentary, so let's just get out of the world of social media for a second. I want us to think through a question this morning, and when I ask this, there's no guilt, no judgment, no shame, no condemnation in this question. I just want honest reflection from all of us. If you looked at the people you surround yourself with, the circles you run in, 
What's everybody like? What do they look like? What are they dressed like? What do they think? What do they believe? What political leanings do they have? What religious leanings do they have? What hobbies do they have? What preferences do they have? See, what I'm learning about myself, what I'm realizing is that I'm incredibly tribal. And it's not necessarily intentional, certainly not malicious, but for the 28 years I've been living on this earth, as a quick examination, I've been living in tribes for 28 years. And I'm incredibly convinced that the overwhelming majority of people would say the same thing about themselves. We are a tribal people. We love to categorize people by where they fall. Actually, I would guess in the last five minutes, you've tried to figure out what tribe I'm in. And you just have to wonder, in light of all that's happened this past week, would it have been so horrific if we weren't so tribal? So why do I bring up this idea of tribes and tribalism? Well, we're two weeks in now to this new series called Hey Jesus, and we're looking at the questions that people asked Jesus when he was here on earth. And believe it or not, Jesus actually takes this question head on when a lawyer asks him, who is my neighbor? And the way Jesus answers leaves no room for tribes. Actually, if I can just say this sermon in a sentence, this is where we're going today. Christ calls us to live alongside your neighbor, not inside your tribe. The tribes that we live in, that we create, that we celebrate, that we promote, Jesus isn't impressed, he's not enthused, he's not excited. Now what Jesus will teach us today is that the call is to live alongside your neighbor, not inside your tribe. And so it just really leads us to one question we have to think through then. Why is it that we always end up in tribes? Like, why do we gravitate towards that? Well, let's just look at how Jesus answers the question because I think that will suffice for us. If you have a Bible, go to uh, Luke chapter 10. And in verse 25, uh, this religious expert, the lawyer, comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question that I think most people have thought through before. He says, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus being who Jesus is, how he interacts with people, he just flips the question and says, oh, I don't know, bro, you got the PhD in Old Testament. How would you answer? And the lawyer says, well, he quotes two massively important texts for the Jewish faith. And probably love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus hears this answer, I'm not sure if he's surprised by the accuracy of the lawyer's response, but he says, yeah. Yeah, love God, love neighbor. You're going to find life. And now if the story ended right there, this would be the quickest sermon ever, right? But, but you know how we all have that one friend who just, he always kind of asks the question, he pushes the envelope on conversations that should really just stop? Uh, that's the lawyer. Because he looks at Jesus and he presses a little bit. This is what he asks in verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, this is not an innocent, like, I really just want to make sure I understand the answer type of question. Because we know his motive isn't clarity, it's justification. It's it's vindication for how he's already been living. 
Right? The religious elite, the lawyer, these are the most elitist group people ever in first century Judaism. They actually believed that you were only responsible to love people who loved God. So what this lawyer is driving as he's saying, Jesus, surely I'm supposed to love God, but even you have to admit, there's neighbor and there's non-neighbor. Like if we want life, what that means is we need to love God and love those who love God. And everybody else, eh, not so much. In short, I need to love my tribe. He's creating us and them categories. And we kind of hear that and Hopefully in you there's kind of like this, ugh, like what a jerk. But before we go there, don't we do that so often ourselves? Yeah, we love Christ, but isn't it really easy to justify who you don't have to love? Think about first century Judaism. I don't need to love the Greco-Roman government. They're raising my taxes. Go tax the 1%, man. Let the free market handle it. Now, I don't need to love those Egyptians. You remember that last pandemic? They took all the toilet paper to keep wrapping up their mummies. I don't need to go love the Romans. They're oppressing us. I don't need to go love the rioters. They're burning down the city. I don't need to go love the racist. They're the reason for the problem. I don't need to go love the crazy liberals. That they're causing the moral decay of the country. I don't need to go love the keep America great people. The wrong side of history. I don't need to love the people in the middle. Man, they need to buck up, pick a side, and just let her rip. I don't need to love the pandemic push and fear mongering. Shutting down the economy. I don't need to love the people who are in public not wearing a face mask. They're spreading the virus. I get it, Jesus. I need to love other people, but really I only need to love the other people who think like I think, believe what I believe, act how I act. Because these other people, they don't even know you. Or if they know you, they don't know the wrong version of you. Certainly I don't have to love those people, right? Well, Jesus doesn't take the bait with the lawyer. He doesn't take the bait with us either this morning. He responds by telling a story in verse 30. Jesus replied, well, a man went, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was a notoriously dangerous path. And he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So it happens there's this guy, and he's taken aside, and ultimately they just dehumanize him. Humiliate him, strip him down to nothing, laying there naked, gang up, beat him up, inch within death, and then they leave him in a suffering. They leave him bleeding. Desperate for help. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to that place, he saw him pass by on the other side. So Jesus is telling this lawyer the story. He introduces the first two characters. You have a priest and a Levite. And now when the lawyer heard this, he'd get all jazzed up because the priest and Levite, these are his boys, right? These are the guys who are the example of holiness. These are the aspiration. Live like these guys because they're temple workers. 
They work in the house of God. These are the guys who set the religious pace. Like, this is my tribe. So the, the two people who are supposed to be the heroes of the story, now Jesus says he looks at them and he passes by. Why, why, why would they do that? Well, see, I think when we ask the question, why do we end up in tribes? Why is that what we gravitate towards? Here's the first reason. Priority. It's a reason of priorities. Because the priest and the Levite, they knew Old Testament law. They knew there was a call to help people in need. But you know what other law they knew? You can't touch dead people. You can't touch half-dead people. Because they're unclean. And if you touch them, you become unclean. And if you become unclean, there's this whole process to become clean again, and you can't fulfill your priestly Levitical duties. And so in this moment, the priest and the Levite, they look at this man dying on the ground, and now priority. Help, help him, help the person in need, stay ceremonially uh, ceremonial uh, uh, pure. It's a moment. Both seem justifiable. See, tribes will always gravitate towards priority. I think I'd be irresponsible not uh, to just ask this question in light of this week, and I'm, I really don't want to step on a hornet's nest right now. But how do you think priorities in tribes have worked themselves out in the past 10 days? George Floyd's murdered. Every tribe agrees it's horrific. We're all walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. We all see the body. We're all appalled. How do you respond? Priorities. For some, for some, the tribe is, no, this is a political issue. That's the priority. For some, it's a social issue. For some, it's a moral issue. For some, it's ideological. What's the priority? How do you respond? And see, what I think Jesus is teaching me right now is that this is a theological issue. This is a God issue. Because the danger is when tribes set the priority. Tribes don't get that privilege. God gets that privilege. God sets priorities of who the neighbor is. God sets priorities of how we interact with hurting people. And the priority that God sets is pretty simple. The priority is people. The priority is always people. And the reason I know that is because Jesus doesn't celebrate the priest and the Levite for walking by just for the sake of staying clean. Right? That's actually what gets him in all this trouble. See, Jesus is telling us that the call for us is to live alongside your neighbor, not inside your tribe. So the priest and Levite see this guy, they have a priority decision to make, and they make their decision. So it says for both of them, they pass by on the other side. And the language here is actually pretty rare. Actually, it's so rare, only place in the Bible it comes up. Because see, what the author Luke is doing, he's taking two Greek words, he's blending them together to make a new word. And the idea he's going for is these people, they tried to get as far away from the hurting guy as possible. They, as much distance as they could create, that's what they did. And I think that leads to the next reason we end up in tribes. And the issue is this, proximity. It's distance. 
Right? Because if they don't have to get close to the hurting guy, they don't have to deal with his pain. I think one of the most paradigm kind of shifting moments I've had in you know, my, my short life uh, was in seminary. And I was taking this class called Biblical Social Ethics. And so I walk into this class, and just full disclosure, uh, I was very uncomfortable because the bulk of the, the syllabus is we're talking about race relations, uh, racial inequality in culture and in church. And so I'm sitting there kind of just wound up, unsure what's going on, because uh, that sort of discourse, those conversations didn't really happen in some of the tribes that I'd been you know, living in most of my life. And so we're five weeks into kind of talking through these topics, and uh, a student who was an international student, he's from South Korea, he raises his hand and asks a question, which he thought was innocent, uh, but it was very revealing. He asked the professor, why is it that in this country you guys can't even agree whether or not there is racial inequality? Ooh. Quiet. It's awkward. You can feel the tension. And nobody wants to say anything. And it's probably quiet for five seconds. It felt like 30 minutes. But the student in the back, this young woman raises her hand and she stands up and she kind of starts telling the class her story. Born and raised in Alabama, her, both her grandfathers were pastors and civil rights leaders uh, in Alabama in the 50s and 60s. And so she starts telling us these crazy stories. And she gets the kind of the crescendo of the story. And she says, the reason people can't agree is because of proximity. She says, when you're far from suffering, it will always create suspicion. But when you're close to suffering it will always create compassion. And when she said that, my mind just blew up. I had never heard it put that way before. And it just revealed in me the uncomfortableness I had with the whole conversations. Right? It was grounded in suspicion because of proximity. Right? When you start talking about the racial inequality stuff, I had seen it, heard it, experienced it, so I was sitting there like, man, what's, what are we talking about here? It's proximity. I grew up in rural Minnesota. Do you know what I saw, heard, experienced? Camouflage fireworks and fishing. Right? And it's not that's a bad thing. It's just it's context of where I grew up. But understanding that tribalism is an issue of proximity. If you're not close to their tribe and they're not close to your tribe, what happens? Suspicion. And suspicion always leads to thinking the worst in one another. Questioning motives. How could they say that? How could that person think that? How could they react that way? How couldn't they react that way? It's an issue of proximity. When we think about these tribes that we live in and, and why we can't get along, I think Luke 10 gives us two reasons for tribes. The first is priority. The second is proximity. But if Jesus tells us that our call is to live alongside our neighbor instead of inside our tribe, what does that look like? How does that look? Let's keep reading. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, saw him, and had compassion. So now as the lawyer would have heard Jesus tell this part of the story, it would have been everything in him not to vomit. Because you want to talk about tribes. Samaritans uh, to a Jew, that was half-breed. That was... Um, 
people marrying the pagan, cultic, uh, heretical uh, Jews of the north. Like they were the scum of the earth. And so the Samaritan shows up. He cuts through the priority, gets close in proximity, and it says it has compassion. And if you study the idea of compassion in the book of Luke, compassion is the attribute most closely linked with the heart of God. It's a compassion that leads to action. Samaritan doesn't ask for the whole story. Doesn't need every detail. No. It says he just went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And Jesus looks up to the lawyer and asks him the question. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer so wrapped up in his tribe, he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. No, instead he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, yeah, you go and do likewise. How do we live alongside our neighbors and not inside our tribes? Two words, compassion and mercy. When we can look at people hurting regardless of tribe, our response has got to be compassion and mercy. Because compassion and mercy, it blows up any labels that we try to put on each other. Compassion and mercy, it destroys any tribe that we try to live in. And hear this, this is good. Because the end zone is neighbor. The end zone is not tribe. And that's Jesus' whole point. He says, don't worry about your tribe. Levite, priest, Samaritan, doesn't matter. Someone's hurting in front of you, it's compassion and mercy. That's how you live alongside your neighbor. That has got to be our response. Someone's hurting, unbelievable compassion. Priority, doesn't matter. Someone's hurting. Someone's suffering, unrelenting mercy. Doesn't matter how different they are. Doesn't matter the ideological differences, the political differences, the racial differences. Any difference doesn't matter. It's mercy. That's got to be the response. Why? Because when God looked down on us, his recon mission, what did he see? He didn't see his own tribe. He looked down on me, he looked down on you, and he saw wicked, evil, narcissistic, self-centered, gross, sinner. Priority, salvation, redemption, new life, healing, proximity. My son, he's going to take on flesh. He's going to draw near. He will become one. And I'll the, the kind of grime and the grit that, that made us so outside of God's tribe, no, my son will take that on himself. He'll be crucified next to him, actually. Killed. 
but then he'll rise before them. And he will offer salvation to all who would come through his name. And when the world sees that, the gospel of Christ, what do they see? Compassion and mercy. Because there's nothing God delights in more than being compassionate and merciful to people who are dead. That's what he lives to do. And do you want proof? Look at me. Look at yourself. We have got to be a people who respond to the people hurting in front of us with compassion and mercy. Who's my neighbor? Live alongside your neighbor, not inside your tribe. Because the person in front of you, that's your neighbor. And so Jesus looks and he says, yeah, go and do likewise. I want us to reflect for five minutes together on Jesus' commission to the lawyer. And so where you're at, if you're with your family, interact with them. If you're with friends, interact with them. If you're by yourself, uh, grab a journal, sit in prayer. But I want us to think through this question for five minutes. And then afterwards, uh, Michael will come back up and we'll conclude the service. So here's the question to reflect on. In light of all that's going on, what will keep you from likewise showing compassion and mercy to the neighbors in front of you? Think on that, pray on that, and we'll conclude in a few minutes.
hope that these five minutes of reflection have both been encouraging, but also challenging. I love the question that was posed to Jesus this morning, who is my neighbor? And I'm so thankful that Jesus answered the question by telling a story. And he finishes the story by asking his own question, a question for us as well. Of the three, which one proved to be the neighbor? And the man simply said, the one who was compassionate and merciful. And as Kyle just beautifully challenged us this morning, really what Jesus challenged us this morning with is, go and do likewise. So, as you continue on this day, as you continue on this week, who is it that needs to experience the compassion that Jesus has given to you, the mercy that Jesus has given to you? Who in your life needs to experience compassion and mercy? We are inviting you to take a step, but we don't want you to take a step by yourself in isolation. If you have questions about what was shared this morning through God's Word, if you have made maybe even a decision to say, hey, I realize that Jesus is a demonstration of God's compassion and mercy, and I want to begin a relationship with God. If that's the step that you want to take today, whatever your step is, we are inviting you this morning. Before you sign off, please let us know what that step is. On Facebook and YouTube, there is a link in the comment section of my next step. There's also on our website just a box underneath the screen that simply says my next step. Take a moment to fill out that form and let us know what your next step will be so we can take it with you, so we can encourage you in the steps that God is calling you to take. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Genesis, we have been not invited but commanded to love our neighbor in the way that Jesus has loved us. Let's do that well. We love you. We pray that you have a phenomenal rest of this day and an amazing rest of this week of loving our neighbor well. God bless. Peace out.